You are listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. Hail, Ethan. And hail to thee, Josiah. Hail to thee, our alma mater. Oh. Throwback there. I don't know where that... Well, the word hail. Throwback to what? My high school alma mater. Oh, I don't I don't even know... I mean, I'm sure we had one. But you didn't sing it at your graduation? Yeah, you, know, you know, actually, come to think of it, I think there was something like that, but it's clear that not a single soul knew it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> well, you see, the reason I remember mine is because our administration realized yeah. at every graduation ceremony, no one was singing it. Mm-hmm. And so my senior year of high school, every Friday... We sang it like the, you know how you would do the loudspeaker announcements first yeah, thing in the morning oh and the I pledge and all that. Yeah. yeah. So we would sing our alma mater every Friday oh all together, Lord. every one of us. And so by the time graduation come around, we actually were able to sing it, you know, with a little bit of gusto. Would you rate it as an above average? So I'm, te- I'm torn because <laughs> okay. it's like a lot of things in high school. Hold on. Okay. The lyrics are hail to thee, our alma mater. Hail South Harrison High. Memories of once we were near thee, nevermore shall die. Friends we are and friends will always be until the end of time. Hail to thee, our alma mater. Hail South Harrison High. So like, it's got some loftiness, but it's just, it's not true. That's, that's what's like, like oh, yeah, it's memories of once we were near thee. Idealistic. Yeah. It's the same thing that like every high school student. And I, I mean, oh, no, oh, no offense to any high school students happen to be listening. I don't, I don't want to crush your, I'm still friends with some of the people I was different with in high school, but like, there's this kind of like, oh yeah, like it's always going to be this way. And like, no. And that's good. Yeah. It's good that it's not that way. The word I was looking for was sentimentalist. Yeah. And I don't have a problem with sentiment, but I do not like sentimentalism. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Does that distinction make sense? It does to me. Yeah. I'm I'm, (laughs) listeners like, what are you talking about? I'm very much on the same page as this. So, (laughs) oh, so anyway, I still have that song in my my skull parts, Mm -hmm. as it were. So, anyway, that would leave an impression, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. So, you uh, know. No alma mater memory for, for you. No, right? just, that, just that time that people thought it was about to get sung. <laughs> and something happened. I don't remember what happened. But Everyone kind of mumbled. So, uh, yeah. It was clear that like there was some awareness. I don't know where that awareness came from because it wasn't the student body. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, well, I've never heard this in my life. Oh, man. That does feel like an aeon ago, too. But yeah. anyway, that's neither here nor there. So you are well. I am well. I'm well as well as I need to be. Drinking the coffee. I am drinking the coffee. You, you go. first. Oh <laughs> no! A race to the bottom of honor. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so courtesy. Uh, the couple of things I've been doing recently that are different, and I'm only going to highlight one of them. I was going to highlight something I've been doing different <laughs> yes. with coffee. Bizarre! This, this is so exciting. Coffee segment. Dun, dun. <laughs> We're back. <laughs> um, so I've, I've been thinking recently, uh, we all here use the Rock Manual Espresso Press. We do. Um, I'm a big fan of it. I'm a big advocate of it. And um, I think historically I have filled the reservoir, lifted the arms. I know people just stay with me. <laughs> <laughs> lifted the arms. And then it, it pulls water down into the chamber. And yes. then I top it up again. This is what I've done for years, for years and years, because technically you just get more volume. You yeah, know what I mean? Right. Just more, more espresso. Putting more water through those coffee grounds. But I thought to myself, like, realistically, if I were more knowledgeable about this, I'm probably over-extracting, meaning I'm kind of diluting. I'm putting too much water. The grounds can't support that much water. I'm, right. I'm, just, I'm just thrashing all of the solubles out of those <laughs> coffee grounds. This is a science segment now. <laughs> Sacrificing some of the delicious flavor. <laughs> yeah, and I'm probably getting, like, a less rich product. I'm like, I want 
wonder, I wonder what like the new standard is, or I wonder if I've just kind of been like just taking this for granted. What is the recommendation for this? Yeah. And, um, and also I wanted to measure the volume. I wanted to know like, what am I getting out of this? What is the drink that I make actually called? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, how does it compare to the, like the original like Italian proportions, even though it's not. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I, I found that if I just, as recommended, only fill it once, only fill it to the top a singular time, yeah. which is actually a skosh more than recommended, but you can fight me. Um, <laughs> it's worth it. And then lift the arms and push it through. Yeah. It, unless this is just a very hardcore placebo effect, it truly does feel Make like a, difference. a richer, more textured espresso. Mm-hmm. And it leaves my proportions even more precise. It is remarkably like the one-to-one-to-one coffee, milk, and froth. Mm. So it is It is like a traditional Italian cappuccino in many ways. Yeah. I, I don't think I would have actually said that. I don't think I would have called that out. But um, it's it's been like really rewarding. It's oh, really improved nice. my morning coffee. Yeah, I like that a lot. I like that a lot. What have That's, you been doing? Uh, well, I've also been doing that. <gasps> so with my rock. But I actually, so I'm going to sound like a trendsetter, but I've been doing that for about a year, actually. Look at this guy. <laughs> Because <laughs> I had that same thought. I'm like, oh, like I want a slightly yeah. richer product exactly. than a slightly more, but at what you know, what at what cost? <laughs> but that's actually not my thing. Mine is not actually that groundbreaking, but it is different and new for me. But I've been almost exclusively sweetening my milk with honey, fresh honey. Uh-oh, so we've fresh honey. yeah, Hello, we've had a number good. of beekeeping friends who have gifted us yeah honey. I need to make some friends. And <laughs> no, that sounds really good. <laughs> And just putting that into my warmed milk. So that's the only thing I'm changing. But it really, it not only, in my opinion, tastes better, it makes me feel better. Like, Uh it feels less. Emotionally? I don't know. Physically? physically, Spiritually? Metaphysically? (laughs) I just like it better. Um, It's something different. So um, anyway. That's really exciting. That's that's my thing with the coffee. So mm. there you go. Coffee banter for those of you who have missed it and for those of you who haven't. Welcome back. Too I'm bad. Sure you've, <laughs> I'm sure you've skipped over several seconds. <laughs> that's it. Like, Skipping the banter. So banter over. Mm. Now, if you think that uh, babbling about coffee is an error, wait till you hear about this. <laughs> no, when we think about the way the Christian life actually gets lived, because that is important. You know, I would say Christian life is not an abstraction. It's supposed to be lived, you know, walk in step with the gospel, etc. When we think about the way the Christian life gets lived, I think most of us tend to generally fall into one of two old errors. We tend to trip into one of two ditches, as it were. And uh, we can call one of these the moral error mm-hmm. and the other the grace error. I, I can't wait to figure out which way I'm wrong. <laughs> Is that sense it's going to be one of them? Which, which, which of these am I stumbling into like a like a fool? Yeah. No. Let's just jump right into it. Okay. And we'll start with the moral error. The moral error basically makes Christianity all about doing the right things. And that is the essence mm, of it. Okay. So keep the Ten Commandments. Love and serve people. Don't be a bad person. Etc. Right? Great. Just be righteous. And which, you know, at first it's like, oh yeah, like, well, I mean, Christians are supposed to keep the Ten Commandments and, and love and serve people and generally not be, you know, ill-spoken of and bad people, right? Yeah, yeah. The problem with this error, among other things, but the one I want to hone in on, <laughs> is that it makes Christianity all about what I do. That is the um, essence and heart of it in this error. Okay. And at bottom, it assumes I can actually be righteous in and of myself and that I myself have the power to keep the law of God and do good and be approved in his sight. Mm. That's the crux 
of the error. Because, of course, the whole issue with humanity, according to scripture, is that we can't. Yeah. God gave the law, and over and over again, it became very clear. <laughs> it's like not even, not even, it feels like five minutes after he's like, here's the law. The Israelites are like, you know what's a good idea? Idolatry. <laughs> 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 you know? So that's, that's the whole problem is we can't keep the law, and that's precisely why Jesus had to come and live a perfect life and die the death that we deserve because we're incapable of being righteous on our own. You can't do it. Paul comes right out and says in Galatians 2.21, if righteousness were through the law, Christ died for no purpose. Oh, man. Like, you don't want to be the person who tries to make that statement actually true. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> They're going to say like, oh, yeah, Christ didn't need to die for me because I've got it. Yeah, exactly. That is a scary, <laughs> scary thing to think and say. And even if you're not thinking or saying it in so many words, right. you are if you're thinking that the essence of Christianity is just do good and earn righteousness and that will get me in the good graces of the Lord. So if we fall prey to the moral error, we tend to read the Bible as if it was only a rule book <laughs> rather than understanding that it contains the law of God and makes known to us the grace required to keep the law and reveals the purposes of God and his mm. plan for saving us, as Paul would say in Romans 3, by faith apart from works of the law. Yeah, well, this quickly answered my question. <laughs> this is my crutch. Um, <laughs> Get out of that ditch, sir. I mean, even if, like, it doesn't read like a biography per se. Yeah, it's like, in other words, I've not thought these exact thoughts explicitly, mm -hmm. um, like you described, but I can really see how it's taken shape in my life. Yes. I think one of the more subtly devious effects of this is that of course you fall short yeah and then inevitably i think you find yourself in this cycle of guilt and shame and somehow feels correct yeah like you're supposed to feel that way you're supposed to revel in this pit of despair mm -hmm. as some form of penance yes but it's one you never get out of of course because you're locked into this graceless rule book that you yes. have to figure out right it's really hard to step back and see that that is happening because you're so fixated on the scorecard that you've turned it into. Yes. And this actually brings up a very interesting point about Phariseeism. Oh, oh no. Interestingly, right? Yeah. Because I think the typical thing about Phariseeism, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, we tend to think of the Pharisees as wanting to make the law more strenuous and difficult than it already was, right? Like, golly gee, Ned. That's the you guys are adding yeah. so much to the law, okay? And they did do that. Sure. They did. They strained at gnats to swallow camels, as Jesus said, <laughs> right? But I think a very compelling case can be made. The reason why they did that was because they wanted to make the law actually easier for themselves to keep and feel like they had achieved righteousness. Mm. So, for example, oh wow. okay, if I keep all these strenuous minute commands about tithing, which I am able to keep. That's easy. I can look and say, oh yeah, I, I tithe my mint, my dill, my cumin. Mm. I did all this stuff. I can measure that. And extra. I can measure it. And I did it. I kept the law. Yeah. <sighs> and you use that as an excuse to, as Jesus said, neglect the weightier issues of the law. You've actually made the law easier on yourself. Again, that's the whole point in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. And if all that is for you is, oh, I have not, <laughs> I have not slept with someone other than my spouse. Sure. That's easy. Easy to do. I, I mean, mean, like, theoretically relatively. Yeah, like, relatively easy. Compared to, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> the command not to commit adultery goes yeah. all the way down to... Inside my own mind. Yes. Like, what do your thoughts look like? <laughs> like, do you want Jesus to look at those thoughts? How would you feel if Jesus said, hey, here's how you're thinking about 
this yeah. person and broadcast that for everyone. Exactly. So it's interesting about the moral errors because it can either lead you, I think, into that pit of despair where you, you realize the weight of your issues oh, okay, and trying yeah. to keep them and you're like, I can't do it. And then that drives you into despair or you look at it and say, well, that can't be it. So let's look at these little minute things and create all these little quibbles and details that I can keep yeah just fine and feel good about and I can make other people feel bad if they don't keep them. <laughs> I'm curious if it would be appropriate to say that in, in some ways this path, it pursues the letter of the law to neglect the heart of it. Yes, I think that's a that's a much more beautiful, apt quick summary of what I had to labor to you, say you, with so many words. It does require explanation. You need the context <laughs> to make sense of that. But yeah, that's precisely the issue, I think. I mean, that's exactly what, that's almost a paraphrase of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, where he's like, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Oh, I wish I did that on purpose. <laughs> Maybe it's better than I didn't. That sounds even, even Or you, say, you could say that the scriptures are now, the spirit is so <laughs> imparting them through you that they just flow without you even you even realizing, oh. which is, that's a thing. But, but that would be the moral error. Yeah. Now, I do think that's especially something that Christians who are trying to do the right thing are prone to. Yeah. Oh, that's great you should mention that because the funny thing about the Pharisees, I, I realize there's a lot of negative caricature around that, which is warranted. It's earned. Yeah. But I also see a lot of like, I think they were very earnestly trying to do the right thing. They were. <laughs> yeah. Like, and it's just like how interesting that that can unfortunately turn into kind of like an ugly misshapen expression. Yes, and, it absolutely um, can. That that could happen to all of us. All of us. Yep. Any single one of us. Hap it could be happening right now for yeah. all we know. So you've got that on the one hand. On the other hand, you have the grace error, and that makes Christianity utterly ambivalent about doing the right <laughs> things, right? Like, it's just like, eh, who cares what you do? You know, if you say you believe in Jesus, you prayed the little prayer at the summer camp, whatever year that was, you're fine, yeah. right? The problem with this error, among other things, again, is that it totally ne neglects the transformational power of grace that is clearly taught all throughout Scripture. Mm -hmm. So to pull just a couple of references from Paul, he says in Romans 6, 1 through 2, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Exactly, yeah. So you have that. Or consider what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 9 through 10. And I think this passage so paradoxically captures what we're trying to drive at here. He says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Mm. There I am. I broke the law. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. As I, I was called to be an apostle. I'm now preaching the truth of Jesus Christ and living a life according to the Lord. So by, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. The self-awareness of this yeah. is so enviable. Isn't it? Honestly. <laughs> Uh, so I think you clearly see in just the sampling of passages, and you see it all over Scripture, in both the Old and New Testaments, by the way. So I think we emphasize that this is clear in the New Testament. Mm. But just as an aside, briefly, I also want to make clear, this shows up in the Old Testament all over the place. <laughs> it shows up, yeah, like, oh, it's as if they're connected. Uh, you know, who thought that? But even in a book like Deuteronomy, God says, I will give you a heart to obey my commands. I will do that. Ezekiel, where God says, I will give you a new heart. I will take the heart of stone from within you and put within you a heart of flesh. And I will give you a new spirit that longs to walk in my commandments. So like there's this clear, clear expectation that grace and the nearness of God and his saving activity will so transform you. It's like being born all over again that you will have the power then 
to do what God asks, just like Paul is saying here. So if you've had a real encounter with God's grace and you see your sin for what it is, and you see that your so-called righteous deeds are just filthy rags, to quote the prophet Isaiah, who, if you translated that more, literally would be much... This visceral. Yeah, much more visceral. But I won't for now. You see all that. It's impossible to not be changed by that. Again, as I just alluded to a minute ago, Jesus went so far as to say such an experience is actually like being born all over again in John 3. Like That's how dramatic it is. It is if you've just been totally reborn. You've, you've gone through that whole experience again, and you're a new human being. So what we want to remember as Christians, given this discussion, is that as the great reformer Martin Luther might put it, the law and the gospel belong together always. In fact, the way that we come to believe in Christ for both our justification and our sanctification, it's actually laid out very nicely in the Heidelberg Catechism. Question and answer two. I just love the way they put it. Okay. The question is, how many things are necessary to know so that you, enjoying the comfort of belonging to God, may live and die happily? Answer, three things. The first, how great my sins and miseries are. That's what the law does, moral error. The second, how I may be delivered from all my sins and miseries. There's grace, the gospel. And then the third, how I shall express my gratitude for God for such deliverance, and that's law and gospel together. Mm-hmm. Grace and morality. Yeah. So there, there really is something about deed attached to this. Yes. But it's not, it's not a checklist or a scorecard. It is gratitude. Gratitude. <laughs> yeah, which that is not a semantic, you know, yes. like, oh, a little sleight of hand. That is a significant conceptual I, difference. That is exactly. I was thinking that very thing because I know that it's a loaded concept to, to say that that is not just like feel hey feel good about this yeah. think about it every once in a blue moon that hey how nice it's yeah. obviously it's so much like deeper and richer than that and yet when i compare this to to kind of the, the, the fallacy that i come to the table with it feels so much lighter yes like, mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> the way i i would bring this to the table that i i that i expect it to be oh this should actually hurt a little bit you know what I mean? I, I need to feel worse about this I, yeah. to, to kind of I can't be something. forgiven until I feel bad <laughs> enough about myself. Like that would suggest that Christ died for no reason or that it somehow yeah. wasn't adequate. Right. But that not at all. I mean, mm-hmm. take that that kind of weird contrived weight and and set that beside this this command for gratitude. Mm-hmm. Yes. <sighs> yes. Yes. And it's it's exactly like Jesus said in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and to use your word, my burden is light. Yeah. Like, it's a non-burden burden. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, that's, that's what gratitude is. So, if you wanted to explicate this a little more, in other words, what happens is, for the Christian, in order to become a Christian, we come up against the law. And if we're really looking at it honestly... And we do that by the help of the Holy Spirit. And we look at ourselves, honestly, in light of the law. We'll realize that we're not at all righteous or good, but rather miserable and damned in the literal sense of the term. But then that despair is not meant to be lived in and, you know, right. like, oh, well, I, I just need to dwell in this. That's not the goal. Yeah. It's not that, nor to say, well, I'm going to find my own way to alleviate my despair by yeah. artificially yeah. imposing commands I can keep. Rather, it's meant to drive us back to the lawgiver for an answer, to which he gives us Christ in the gospel. That's what Paul says in Galatians, the law was our guardian to bring us to Christ. Of course, then Christ promises to forgive our sins, to forgive our lawlessness, to impart to us his perfect righteousness too, because again, you're still kind of, even if you're forgiven of sins, you're stuck if you don't have that righteousness. So he gives us his and then promises he will bring us back to himself in full communion, which is what our hearts were made for. That is the goal of all these things. 
And then, having received that, the law can become a guide for showing us how, again, by the power of the Spirit, we can live in such a way as to show gratitude to God for saving us completely of his own grace, his own power, his own initiative, when we had done nothing to deserve it, couldn't merit it, had no hope. (laughs) Again, Paul in Ephesians 2, you were without God and without hope in the world. But though we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And so... We do that, and since we continue to sin on this side of heaven, we constantly go back to the gospel for restoration and renewal. You know, you don't have to work up this contrived penance that says, well, I need to make sure I feel bad enough before I go to the Lord to be forgiven. Like, no, you just go to the Lord, and he's promised he'll forgive you. He doesn't say, well, I'll forgive you once you feel bad enough. It's just, if you confess it— You hit your guilt quota. Yeah, like, you confess it, he'll forgive it. And you do that on and on until we finally see God as he is and become like him and become sinless entirely and are— Prayers of confession will be gone and prayers of praise will be the only ones we'll have to pray. And I think this framework is so vital because it creates massive problems when it's lacking. You know, that's just obvious. I think that's fairly obvious if we look at our own lives and at the church at large. For example, let's take a concrete instance of this, apply it to a real issue. You and I were recently talking about the foibles of purity culture in the uh, 90s and the early aughts. Those of you who either that was before or after your time or whatever, purity culture, and you're probably somewhat familiar with it, but it was this like really hard press, almost maniacal, to like really drive home the fact that like we need to keep sex, especially teenagers, like keep sex in its proper bounds. And we're going to have like purity vows and you'll have a purity ring and we'll have a ceremony in front of the church and we'll teach you all these things about purity. Okay. Purity in and of itself is not a bad thing. Like, purity is good, okay, right? Like, that, that is good. It, it is a good thing to offer a pure body on your wedding night to your spouse, right? And to not transgress the sexual commands of Scripture, okay? We're, we're not debating that, okay? But the problem with purity culture was that it was steeped in the moral error. Mm-hmm. That was exactly the problem with it. It was all law and no gospel. Yeah. You know, it was the command, bounce your eyes. You know, if you're like, you're at the mall and you're walking by Victoria's Secret, bounce your eyes, okay? Top That's tips and good. tricks to be yeah, saved. Yeah, right? And again, like, yeah, you sh- don't, you shouldn't be ogling at uh, Victoria's Secret when you're walking by the mall, okay? But they gave you no motive power for doing that, <laughs> right? It was just like, it's just a command, like, just don't do this because otherwise right, it's going right, to be, right. it's going to be bad. So you had no gospel. And now the result of that, and this is typically what happens, is if you have somebody who's really despairing of the moral error in the law hmm. and they don't have the gospel, they go the pendulum swing and fall into the other ditch, which is the grace error, which is say like, well, it's, you know, it's all up now. I already, you know, I already maybe committed this. And so, you know what, oh, yeah. this is have a free for all. And yeah, it's, yeah, they're yeah. just like, oh, we, we don't care at all. Like purity culture as it was, was flawed and in error and abused the idea of purity. Therefore, purity as it's been understood historically is bad. Right. Well, the abuse of a thing does not negate <laughs> the proper use. Like this, both Christians and non-Christians get that. Very much. They, they get that wrong a lot. And so if the law and the gospel had been kept together in the purity culture of the 90s and early aughts, and they had been kept in their proper places and roles, you really could have had something beautiful. You know what I mean? Like, really, only. Yeah, like, because I mean, I do think that was a unique time in human history, because I think part of what really pushed that was the very rapid pornification of sexualization oh, or yeah. sexuality, you know, like, because that was, I mean, sexual issues have obviously been a problem all along. The method of access became a new issue to deal with. Exactly. Yeah. And so it kind of pushed this, like, well, we really need to address this head on. And that was a fine thing to do. Very pastoral. Again, it was just, you missed the boat. It was <laughs> like, it's it needs to be both law and gospel, yeah. morality and grace. And unfortunately, you know, we're now having to, you know, go back and say, well, let's, the foundation was laid improperly. Let's go back and 
as hard as it is, we have to start kind of over again (laughs) and say, here's the truth. Mm -hmm. And hopefully then, you know, of course, God can make beautiful things out of that. But this error shows up in all kinds of ways like that. So it's something for us to be aware of. So, yeah, Mm. there you have it. Thanks, as always, for listening. If you were helped by this, if you are... uh, if you think that we're uh, guilty of one or other of the errors, you know, been and there, you, uh, for sure. yeah, that's it, you know, and you want to make that clear in a review. <laughs> 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 no, if you want to leave us a, a, a review and share this with your friends, that would be great. Awesome. Yeah. And if you have any questions on this or any other topic or any subsidiary topic, you can always email us at podcast at horizonschurch.net. Good word, subsidiary. Yeah, look at that. Thanks as always for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.